right. Good afternoon, Eric. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Doing very well. Joining us from uh, hopefully sunny California. Yep. Yeah. No, it is nice today, actually. And I've been inside where I guess my insulation is better than I thought. It's like cold inside because it was cold last night. Yeah. But I walked outside and it's like beautiful and probably in the 70s. So what's cold for California? Uh, not. It was dropped in the 50s last night, probably. But it's uh, like held it. So like I'm sitting in this yeah. office, like, you know, probably low 60s in the office right now. I'll pop the window up and get some air. Yeah, yeah no, that's what I need to do. <laughs> Last time I was in California, it got to about 103, 104, and people thought the world was ending. I was very yeah. surprised. That, I mean, that's pretty hot. Where And where are you? Uh, I'm in right outside D.C. in Maryland. Oh, okay. So yeah. for us, uh, you know, 103 is hot, but we added that's humidity, hot, yeah. of course. Yeah, so we don't yeah. need to talk weather today. I appreciate yeah. you hopping on. <laughs> um, and, and as you know, the, the coaches consult, and we had talked about this, is really about sharing information. And mm-hmm. today, I would just love to pick your brain on behalf of SMBs, digital and technology companies, people mm-hmm. that are just starting up and have you give maybe some of, of your in, intel and what you've learned and, and have it and share it with them. Sure. Uh, and so we'll do a quick fire and, and we'll go as deep as, as the uh, rabbit hole demands and we'll work from there. But Sounds I'll like give a, great a little bit of intro for you, and uh, and then I'll have you kind of describe the company a bit. But you're founder and CEO of All Media out of California. Mm-hmm. Started in, I'm trying to do all this from memory. You started around 2014. There yep. are about 250 employees. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible number of awards. But you're considered one of the fastest growing consultancies in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I read that in a few articles. But I, I did see that you just had Dan join you, the new CEO. That's correct. You and Tony. So hopefully that's going well. But you're yeah. also the founding partner of Hawk Ventures. You have your own past uh, podcast called Hawk Talk. Yep. And, you know, you, but tell us a little bit more about you, your firm. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest new news is we got our book coming out called The Hawk Method. Okay. <laughs> that's just pre launched at hawkmethod.com. So building our basically our marketing methodology and how we've grown over 3000 brands successfully. So that should be fun. But yeah, firing on all cylinders, uh, basically started it, as you said, 2014, uh, really was just, I'd built and sold a couple of e-com companies and just was frustrated by the lack of availability to great marketing. And it just seemed like the inaccessibility there was ridiculous. Like 99% of marketing agencies have no idea what they're doing. And the few that are good go up market. They want to work with the fortune 2000, have long contracts, high minimums, et cetera. And just hated it. So built my own little team to try to solve that under the uh, mission of accessibility to great marketing. So let's be the best at what we do, but also easy to work with. And that was that simple of an idea. And that's, you know, bootstrapped almost eight years later. We're, as you said, 250 people have about 600 active clients. It's super fun. And what are you doing with Hawk Ventures? Hawk Ventures. So that started with some angel investing that then we realized we needed to double down. And now we're frankly, raising our second fund and building out even more, which the uh, the thesis around that is to uh, invest in a lot of the marketing tech and e-com tech we leverage for our clients and actually be a financial support for a lot of the ecosystem. Since we're not tech, can we help financially and in doing so be aligned with a lot of the ecosystem that we're building around us? And then also once in a while, an outlier as far as the consumer side as well. So we, yeah, again, angel invested did really well. Did our first fund did really well, and so now working on second. Great, congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. For making some moves. Well, and so what I really want to get to the meat of the issue. Uh, we can go back and forth and talk. Uh, you know, uh, uh, learn about each other all day. But getting to it, we met back in late 2016, and you had really started to get some traction 
but you were still young. And I loved watching that evolution and that buildup. What would you attribute maybe two to three of the greatest facilitators of your growth that if you could go back to the, to the young Eric's of today, what really helped your company go from that kind of startup feel to only a few years later, 250 employees, your second round of venture funding. Yep. I mean, what, what do you think you did? Walk me through some of the things that you did. Yeah, if I was going to say three things, I would say number one is daily discipline. Like if you commit to hitting your daily numbers, doing your daily activities, hitting the, you know, spending every day progressing, yeah. then it all adds up. You, you progress every week, every month, every year, if you progress every day. So continuing on a daily habit of pushing things forward, doing the work, scaling, and I think, yeah, and then number two, scaling, continuing to hire people where we need it, continuing to build. And I think that also goes hand in hand with having a goal in mind. So like knowing what we want to grow to and where we're going allows us to manage towards that. So if you, this is the, the easiest example, let's say you're, if your goal is to double your company and you're trending at 80%, you're going to ramp up, look for things, try to find places where you can get closer to that goal. You might not hit it, but you're going to aim for it. If your goal is to hit 50% and you're at 80%, your foot's off the gas. You're, you know, you've already blown past your goal, which is fine too. Whatever your goal is your goal. If you have no goal and you're doing 80%, there's all the same progress. You, again, it's kind of subjective. You might accept it. One of your executives might hate it. Like you might be completely missing. You're not even aligned. So having a goal is important. Having a goal that's, you know, ambitious, but attainable, I think is most important. And so, you know, and then if, even if you come slightly short, if you manage towards that, you're going to come closer and you're going to do things to try to get there. And a lot of people hear about goals. I mean, of course, anybody who has done any kind of business, yeah. you talk about goals, you talk about structure, you talk about discipline, you talk about hiring the right people. Most of us know all of that, right? Uh, yes. And you're stressing the actual daily discipline, which is the part I like. But yeah. let's talk a little bit about how you developed these goals. Yeah. How, what were the pieces you brought in? Was it, you know, because a lot of these, these younger organizations don't have the resources to yeah. get great coaches or to get into Fortune 1000s, uh, which you say is not what you always need to look at, but yeah. they get stuck in that vacuum and, or they're siloed and thinking that they have to come up. What did you do differently or, or do right about building your goals? Oh, so I didn't do anything differently. Like, I, I don't know that I did it right. I, it was a finger to the wind and like, yeah, I mean, this is, this was our goals. We were a week into business, had no reason to believe any of these were possible, but I was like, we're going to do one, two and a half, five and 10 million. We are one, two, three, four. And we came in within one. Pull those out of your hat. Completely. And hat is a respectful way of where they came from. Uh, that's, I, I'm trying to have a nice <laughs> podcast. <here. laughs> and so and I wrote it on a thermometer on the board and was like, this year is a million. And now we, this, and, but again, that forced me to manage the business as if that's what we had to do. So if we were tracking towards it, I was managing it, you know, I was looking for optimization, et cetera. But if we were not hitting it on a top line basis, I was ramping up and looking for ways to hit it. And so that forced us for those four years. And I made the mistake of not having those goals well, at least laid out way ahead of time for the a couple of years after that. And we still grew and grew really well, but it was a lot less guided, a lot less intentional. And so now we're back on having goals and it's like way more in line. Like, it, you know, it feels like a well-oiled machine like it did for the first four years. And we had about a two-year gap where it felt all over the place because we really didn't know where we were running. Mm -hmm. How much do you think luck plays in? Because I think any entrepreneur yeah. that doesn't believe in luck they say, oh, it's preparation. Yes, that's 80, 90% of it in my mind. But how much do you think luck? Oh, I actually think, I, I'd say, and this is, I've never said this before, but I'd say it's probably a third hard work, a third smart, and a third luck. 
So All right, well, I've got luck and I've got hard work, so I'm good to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I just yeah. said B hacks, I'll reach two thirds of my goal, right? That's how that. Yeah, works. exactly. So <laughs> um, no, and and I really mean like you have to be able to you have to be smart in terms of the idea you came up with in terms of salt problem solving because that always running a business is, and you have to be able to figure things out and continue to move. So you have to be smart enough. You have to be hardworking enough, but I love like that people tell me that they were successful because of hard work. It's like, we all have 24 hours in a day. Like, what do you mean hard work? What does that even mean? Like, I, I, I'm, there are so, and people tell me like, oh, because I am a hardworking guy. I put a lot of time in. I put probably more hours into this company still than anyone else. Um, and I don't think anyone would debate that either. As but, it should be in my mind. But. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. Um, but that, But there are many, 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 many people that work just as hard as I do and not have not been as lucky as I am. And so, yeah, I think luck is a huge part of it, which is also why I think when people either sell their company or go to start something else or decide to pivot and go, we've been good in this, so we're gonna be good in that. So many discount that X factor, which is luck, which really is timing. I mean, I think yeah. luck, the biggest piece of that is timing. Yeah, well, yeah, but I think, you know, timing in a lot of ways, like, yeah, as, as you said, you quoted the whole opportunity meaning preparation. Preparation is the smart and hardworking, yeah. you know, the opportunity, like you, you can, if you swing the bat enough times, you get lucky, you know, that that's part of it too. So what's different about, I mean, you're primarily outsourcing CMO, you're a consultancy to brands, right? What makes it, do you think the key differentiator that made you successful or quote unquote lucky over dozens of other companies that maybe have stagnated or didn't grow. Yeah, so few things. One, hard work, but when, not that's not <laughs> yes, sure. But I, I honestly think that's table stakes. Like hard work's table stakes. But I think I had built and sold a couple of e-com companies, and this was eight years ago. Okay. Uh, there weren't a lot of competitors at the time. There were some. There were agencies, but no one had the credit. Not no one, but few people had the credibility I did in the space that were also wanting to run an agency. Mm -hmm. So I was uniquely differentiated then. And then we started to get traction because of that. And then quickly we had clients to point to and success to point to. And so what's really been the biggest driver over time is we've built a lot of credibility through good work and good reputation, but have continued to have no barrier to entry to work with us. So you just have to, you know, be a, we're month to month. Like just, if you want to hire someone, we're easy to hire. So, you know, that's kind of where we look is like, we want to be the absolute no brainer hire on the marketing agency side. Like, you're not asking for any commitment. Try us out. We're proven. We have all the reputation in the world. And most of the time, frankly, our competitors are these small bullshit agencies that oversell and underdeliver. And we're not that way because at this point, we've built enough of a reputation that we're obviously not that way. So that's really what we try to focus on. Why is your team that way? Is it what have you developed within your team that you're the underpromise overdeliver? I mean, I think just because they know if we overpromise, they've got to deal with it. Like if a salesperson overpromises to a client, no one else covers for them. It's like, get back on the phone and talk to them and tell them why you screwed up. So it happens very rarely. And also, I think most people don't want to do that. And as long as you coach them really early on, like why we won't do that. Now we have a pretty straightforward sales process that doesn't even allow for it. Like we put everything in writing. So it's like, we're not promising anything. This is what we promised. And here it is. And what we promise is execution. We don't promise results, which I, I have written a few articles about this. If an agency promises results, run or ask them why they haven't bought your company. Because like yeah, the old thing. In, in, yeah, exactly. The old thing in SEO, somebody promises first page, you need to run yeah. away. It's my favorite thing. We're going to get you on the first page of Google. For what term? They never seem yeah. to say that. Like what term? My own brand name? Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. like, Exactly. So the things that we've already identified quickly, and I love it, is 
timing is a big one. You know, you said hard work. We talked about luck, but also it, having the right experience. Um, but, you know, adding in that, that timing is a big part of it. You can put that under luck, but you can also put that under market experience or, or market research. But yeah, but if, if it's market experience or market research, a lot of the times if you're starting something, when you see the market needs it, you're too late. So it's like, it's one of you, and don't get me wrong. You can get insight into the market. If you if you said it, it, market experience that you actually spot a pain point that no one else is seeing that can happen, but then you have to see like, is there a reason it has been solved yet? Like there's other things that can't be predicted, but yeah, I agree. Like diving into the market can really help, but it also, a lot of times if you're, if you're spotting it and someone else hasn't made a move, a lot of times there's a reason to. Yeah. And let's step away from the business school kind of bullshit. Who do you surround yourself with that allows you? Is it that you're the Elon Musk of, of digital marketing and, and CMO outsourcing and you just, you know what to do and you're doing it? Uh, who do you, who should a young Eric surround himself with that is going to help him accomplish what he's trying to accomplish? You know, I, I've been doing digital marketing for, you know, 13 years directly, but longer than that, you know, on my own doing yeah. other things. So I, I would say at this point, like, I just, and that's what's in the book too, is like, I have a general thesis around how marketing works that we kind of stick to and has worked. So for marketing, we have a lot of partners in a lot of other agencies, even that we talk to about like, are you having problems on Facebook? Why? What are you doing about it? And like, we do share info. We look at, we have enough data on our own now that we can look at the industry as a whole and be like, we have thousands of companies marketing data and we can go like, oh, everyone's suffering on Facebook. Good to know. So it's not something we're doing wrong. It's the market. Um, and so there are things like that, that help define like what kind of strategies we need to do. And then again, our own methodology, I surround myself with really sharp people in individual categories, as well as just overall business. Because what I think most agencies miss is an understanding of business, not just an understanding of marketing where it's like, yeah, we can run Facebook ads and drive clicks and, you know, maybe even drive conversions, but and you think that you're, oh, we've got a three times return on ad spend. So this is, you know, we're crushing it for a company. It's like, well, what's their gross margin? How are they operating? How's their supply chain doing right now? Seeing that we're in COVID, we're having a devastating supply chain issue. Like understand these things about their business so that you can actually coach them and how marketing can apply to that and what they should hold off on and what they should still do and how they should manage that based on their supply chain. These are things that are important. And I continue to try to educate our team on it too. We just talked, I talked to one of my team members on Monday one of our clients wanted to pause for a month of marketing because they won't have product for another month. And I was like, do they realize that you just stop marketing for a month and then start up again next month? There's a lag. So the marketing we're doing right now is for next month and the month after. It's not for right now. And it's not an instant uh, feedback cycle. There's a consideration period or a purchase cycle it's called, which can be weeks to months. So knowing these things about business and not just marketing, I think really help. And then again, I have a great sales leader I call when I have sales questions. I have a great operational person. I have a you know sort of core group of people I meet up with every month to just dive in deep to each other's businesses and rip them apart. So all sorts okay. of ways. So you have the peer, you have the mentors, you have of course the right team, and yep. we could probably spend you know weeks and weeks talking about how to construct the right team. So yep. those are the the pieces. Um, yep. But it, so you're making a, a lot of moves on especially the M&A side and, mm -hmm. and what you're doing. And, and I hope I'm anything I'm sharing, tell me, we'll just edit it right out. Um, but you're making a lot of moves there. If you're, because there is, the space is so hot right now, there's a lot of consolidation in the digital marketing technology space, e-commerce space. Uh, if you're going to acquire a company, it doesn't have to be your personal mandate. 
What are you looking for in companies that just, that seem to click? Because we all know you go to buy a car, you'll see 10 different cars, but there's one that just speaks to you. What speaks to you? For us, it's different than what, like if someone's building a cell, I, I, I can give a general answer that would give them, if they want to sell to us, we have a very unique way of buying. But if you're looking, so I don't want to coach on that, unless yeah. you really just want Hawk Media well, to be there. You know, but, I don't um, mind giving you a little bit of a plug there, but also. No, I, it's know. fine. I, I can go to general because my wife's in private equity. We run a fund. Like I know how the acquisition market works. And I'd say the, uh, the biggest factors are, is this company sustainable? Is its growth sustainable? Is it going to keep growing when we buy it? And are you uh, a key factor to the company? Because that's the big one that agencies are going to run into in a lot of businesses. It's like, well, if we give you some cash and then we buy you, what's to stop you from riding off into the sunset and being like, screw these guys? Because it happens a lot. And if the company can survive completely without you and keep growing, that is a really great way to get a good multiple on your business. And then scale is always a big thing. How much profit are you doing? Profitability yeah. is a big thing for most companies. Not all. There's companies that sell in revenue, but EBITDA is usually what the multiple is based off of. And the more scale, the higher the multiple and the more independence, the more stability, the more your team's built out, the more you've checked a bunch of boxes and you have just yeah. a great business. Um, what about the intangibles? Because you you know, you, you can do a general search and see that your, your EBITDA, your industry, your IP, your, yeah. you know, your, your client, uh, focus and, and yeah. diversification, all those things. What about the intangibles? So it depends who you're trying to sell to. So what's really interesting, I just had a friend sell his company for a billion dollars, even after I think five or six years, sold it for a billion dollars, had no investors, like made a lot, of, made a billion dollars. And I'm sure he shared some with his team, but um, he, uh, there were two options and it was either sell to a strategic uh, that wanted his customer base and revenue or so a larger firm that you could yeah, just love their to operate yeah. and cross sell. So that's what you mean by strategic. Yeah. Or yeah. a firm that wanted the technology and didn't care about the revenue. Mm-hmm. And he was able to get a better deal from the company that didn't care about their numbers at all. They cared about the technology they had built. And so there's so many different ways to find value with another company. And it yeah. really is one of the best pieces of advice I got recently, and I'm not trying to sell, so it's not really no, I, I, advice for me. No, but, but this is a good piece of advice for people that do want that exit is go find the people that would buy you in the next few years and ask them what they're looking for and then build it. It's that simple. And they'll tell you because they want to buy things just like us. Like we're looking yeah. for acquisitions. So we, if someone called me and said, hey, what can I do to make us interesting to you? I'll tell them right away. Like, yeah, do this, this, and this. And we'd love to. Perfect. Beautiful. Uh, now you bootstrapped your company mm-hmm. and you know, we don't have to get into cap tables or anything of that nature, but what would you, would you have a, a generalized piece of advice that you would stand by on how to grow from that perspective, whether it's take on outside investment to yeah. bootstrap to. It's really, it? so it's, it's just, it's options. You run your business the way you want to. I knew that I, I wanted optionality on exits. And if you take on other people's money, you've got to get it back to them with returns. That's the responsibility that you take within on. Within a time frame, yeah. Yeah, within a time frame. And so that means that I'm on the path to sell at that point or find a way to cash them out, which can get even more painful if it's not selling. So I never wanted to do that and, and put myself on a timeline to be selling. And so that was a big reason. Uh, I also didn't feel that I needed to grow any faster than I could on my own, which again, we've grown really fast. It's great, but uh, you know, you usually take on money to grow faster. Mm-hmm. And you didn't uh, have to do that. 
I didn't have to do that. I didn't need to grow faster. And that wasn't, you know, don't get me wrong. Fast growth is the goal, but not, I didn't want to sacrifice that lack of, and I don't want to say control. Cause it wasn't like, a, like, a, I, I want to be able to do things my way issue. It was more, I, I don't know that I want to be forced to sell before I, or at any point, I might actually run a run on this for the next 30 years and no investor is going to be happy to hear that. So that was my preference. Yeah. Um, is the idea of like running a business long term that it's it, you get a dirty word of lifestyle business, but I love it because at this point I've built yeah. a quote unquote lifestyle business that is worth more than most of my friends' venture back businesses and cash flows way more than any of them. So it's you know at this point I'm not worried about my personal bills, which is a nice thing to be able to say. And so now I can just build and build and build, and that's where we've taken it to. Don't get me wrong. It's chock full of nightmare fuel too. Like running low on cash is a constant thing for a while until you really get to scale. Because let's say you are decently, let's say you make 40% profits. So let's take a million dollars and you make $400,000. When you pay taxes on that, it's now, let's just say $200,000. I'm in California. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Now you have $200,000. And the next year you do two and a half million dollars. So you're doing 200 grand a month in revenue. And all you have in the bank is two hundred thousand dollars? Like it's not enough float for anything. We have you know one or two months of cash flow and we're done. Yeah. And so, and you keep scaling like that, so it keeps compounding like that. So you have to stop growing for a little while to actually put some cash away, um, or you know, and 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 still, you if you kick the growth in again, you outgrow your holdings again. So you have to be really used to managing really tightly on your cash flow because you don't have other options. You don't have just a bunch of cash sitting there in the beginning. Um, and then hopefully you save and you do smart things with it. You can start putting some money away. So that's a different business than having a war chest, being able to burn money on good ideas and being able to throw things at the wall. Like there's a lot of fun in that too. And there's a lot of fun in just having cash to throw at growth. Like, okay, so we know if we spend a dollar, we make four, but there's a three month payback cycle, you know, meaning on advertising. So we can't do it on bootstrapped, but invest a million dollars with me. And then maybe in four months, I'll be at $4 million and like, boom, like we're, we're off to the races. And all of a sudden you skip a lot of steps. There's a lot of risk in that because yeah. you miss a lot of problems and the problems get bigger at scale, but there's a lot of benefit in that too. And I'd say if you're a company that there's going to be a winner in your space, like you're a first mover or an early mover in a space, one of these, like we invested in a company called Postscript. It's an SMS marketing tool. Yeah. There's going to be a few winners, but there's only there's probably only going to be a few real winners. Them raising money makes a lot of sense to me. They've got to get out there as fast as possible. Bootstrapping that, you could probably make, again, a good lifestyle business. But it's also, again, what you want. I am guessing, and I haven't actually asked them, but based on the fact that they've taken money from some of the biggest venture funds now, they probably want to sell or IPO this company in the next few years. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the goal they're going for. And I respect that goal wholesomely. And frankly, well, it'll benefit me now too, as an investor, yeah. but, um, and that's where I've seen, like, I like Hawk Media as my platform where I can invest in other companies. I can get exits in other companies. I can be a co-founder of other companies. Mm-hmm. We can build things off this, like our fund, like our capital arm, put out our book, all these things. I like that. And if it, if I had investors, I would have to run it very differently. There's a fiduciary responsibility side yeah. of it. And then the one, you know, thing about running a business that you own wholly is, there's a lot of like just personal benefits of being an owner of a business that you don't get to do if you have to report to a board and board to mm-hmm. investors. But again, there's the other side that when you need to grow fast, when you need to go, there's a reason we invest too. If I fully believed in only bootstrapping, it'd be really ironic for me to have an investment fund. Yeah. And, and what I like about the, and the reason I really wanted to have this conversation was because 
you you do definitely play one side or the other, knowing that there's pros and cons. The piece that I like about what you just said is, I think a lot of people forget this is know thyself. Yes. Because you, you can't, I can't be Eric Huberman. I can be Brandon. I can try I to be Eric Huberman, but, <laughs> but I'll never be as good as you, at you as you are at being Eric Huberman because it's so authentic to who you are. So if you want to go quick, you want to scale and you want to exit, know that about yourself and right. then maybe taking on investments are great if you want to get first movers advantage. Well, note about your industry. Like good example of that is uh, alcohol. You can bootstrap. I think Tito's did for a while, um, but it's the, the, the margins in alcohol are really tough. So getting to yeah. scale is really important. So that's why a lot of these raise a lot of money. It's like they okay. got to get to a point where they're actually making money. And frankly, acquisitions is where most of the money made, is made in yeah. that business, not profit. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Scale, take on the money, get to a certain point. Yep. Get it sold and get to the next product. Yep. What, uh, what do you see in your industry in the next two to five years? So now we've given a few pieces of information. Yes, we've stayed fairly general, but we've dove and uncovered some nuggets here. In the next two to five years, again, I'm, an, I'm a young Eric. I want to build my company. Maybe I'm at about two, three million in revenue. How do you, how do you position yourself? And I know you can't speak for every industry and every, every industry is different. But what are you seeing for the space, the evolution? Well, we, again, we're very prescriptive with how we acquire. We're looking for specific services that complement what we do, territories, and frankly, individuals. Like we acquire agencies. We're looking for someone that want that is growing an agency and see, and they're getting bogged down with, and this is pretty much standard. You get to a certain scale where as a founder, you start getting bogged down with a bunch of bullshit before you can scale past it. Meaning like all the back office stuff, HR, legal, accounting, blah, 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 blah. And you, you can't afford to hire people for that yet. You're still helping manage the team and you're selling. And so what we, the thesis around our acquisition is let's find people like that that are hyper ambitious, that want to grow. Let's put them into our platform, take a lot of the BS off their plate and then grow with them and do, create a deal that makes sense for all of us to win. And they, again, we can scale faster. So yeah. it's kind of like that venture mindset. Can they do it themselves? I'm not conceited enough to think that I'm the only one that can build an agency to this size. Like they probably can stick with it and go, um, but they, uh, but do they want to, and do they want to get there faster? And that's what we yeah. you know, basically do our due diligence around is, can we make a promise that one plus one can equal 2.1 2, or, or three that yeah. like us together? Cause we're going to split the pie now. So us together will grow faster than you can on your own at a rate that makes sense with what you're going to give up mm -hmm. to us. And well, and, and I think that's why the know thyself is so important because yep. working a great deal right now where the individual said, I accidentally started a business essentially it's yep. grown and I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by what he's grown, but he says, I want to get back to serving clients and being yep. programmatic as exactly. opposed to running a business. And in that example, we could be like, great, why don't you come in? You can be our programmatic guy and we'll take the rest of it off your plate and you'll still benefit from it. You'll still make money off it, but now exactly. you can go back to doing what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of touched on it. Where do you see the your market going in the next two to five years? Prognosticate uh, for me, uh, be the yeah, Steve Jobs of the space. Yeah, well, well, I mean, COVID was the biggest benefit to this business. And I don't mean to brush over the downside of COVID, yeah, but of course, just speaking to e-commerce, the consumer spending. So you're not a jerk. Yeah, we're right, exactly. that. <laughs> Hopefully, benefit of the doubt here. So uh, basically, consumer spending went from 13% online to over 30 mm -hmm. during, like, within a quarter, within three months when COVID started. People stopped going to store, went online. It hasn't gone back. So we're at a point now where the market share has gone there. Now brands are keep catching up. This whole supply chain thing is, I think, going to be a temporary pain in the ass. Like, sincerely, yeah. I think we're going to, I'm not confident in Q1 of next year and how the economy yeah. is going to look. 
But even in the worst recessions and those set of things that last a few months, a year, whatever. So when you're talking two, five years um, down the road, I think this market's going to grow massively. I think almost all businesses are going to be online in some form now. I think that thankfully, you know, there's going to be a lot of diversification in it too, because I think Facebook will hurt. Um, I think that a lot of these cookie changes and iOS changes are going to hurt Facebook, are going to hurt a lot of the platforms and diversification and more strategy around marketing is going to be necessary as opposed to the past decade of just throw money at Facebook and you'll make a return. And so, um, and I think machine learning, AI, own data are all going to be interesting. And I also, we're looking at live shopping because I think there's just a component as this much more business goes online to actually have that interactive side of shopping that people don't have right now. So yeah. I'm curious how that continues to play out, but yeah, th- those are some surface things that I think are coming. So that's a good topic that that is personal to me and what I really enjoy, but the convergence of AR, VR, extended reality and the frictionless yeah. economy, where do you see that going? Uh, I think VR is too isolating and I think Oculus is super fun when you have nothing better to do. I, I got one during COVID, but now that yeah. you can go outside again, I'm not, I don't think I've used it in six months. Um, and so and not quite that long, but it's been a while. And I think everyone was bored and it was perfect timing, but yeah, it's too isolating. I think it's, it's something that lasts 30 minutes. It's fun, but it's a game. And I think for certain training in- industries and like military training, medical training, there's some interesting applications. AR, I think is super interesting and I haven't messed with it yet, but you have the new Ray-Bans that just came out with Facebook, yep. I think. Yep. I haven't tried them, but I'm, it's int- I actually walked past a guy on them the other day and he's just talking and had no headphones in. So I'm like, he's like, yeah, buddy, what's up? And I'm like, nothing much. And he goes, oh, I'm glasses. Like, That's I that old thing when somebody would wave at you and you'd wave yeah. back, you realize they're waving to somebody behind Yeah, exactly. It was that awkward <laughs> moment. So, um, but yeah, I, I think there's someone's going to do that right. And I think augmented reality is going to be a thing, you know, basically a permanent heads up display of some kind, uh, you know, and our phone does it in some senses. I am curious how we balance that with not always wanting to be fucking connected. Uh, excuse yeah. my friend. Sorry. No, we're That's trying to keep French. It. I like but, it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that that will be very interesting um, from a marketing perspective. I think we're a long way away because you need a huge amount of adoption before it's worth exploring. And that's going to be years now is, can you do a gimmicky thing at a trade show or something or like an activation? Sure. But I yeah. think in terms of like really mass adoption around it, I think it'll be out a while. And would you advise an agency once again, general, I know there's no, it's, it's not just black and white. Well, should digital market agencies, agencies like yourselves, should they diversify or really go focus and niche? So are they story brand type of companies? Are they, you know, do, do you see them focus or do you see them trying to step into technologies like AR, VR? As We're going to go right back to what you said, know thyself. Do what you're good at as an agency, because if you don't, your reputation will go out the window, you will lose clients and you'll fall apart. Like you have to have a good reputation in this business. And so you need to know what you're good at. You need to stick to what you're good at. And, you know, the way we've stepped into new services is finding incredible people and buying their agencies with them. Like we haven't, it's not just me overnight going like, okay, I'm going to be a web developer now. It's us partnering with a web development shop for months and months and months and months and I don't know how, it was a long time. And then going, oh, wow, we're now half your business and you guys are doing a great job. Why don't we partner up? Like it's things like that that have gotten us to scale. Um, and I, I watch this. I mean, with agencies, once you reach 15, 20 million in net revenue, and not talking about ad spend, talking about actual ref- fees, yeah. uh, most of them start acquiring. That's a, that's a part of the scale and growth. Yeah. Well, and your PR people might might cut this out when, I, when they look at it, but 
what what did what did Hawk and Eric do wrong in this yeah. process of building? What what are you doing now that you say you know I really gotta we gotta really work on that? Yeah. Um, what did we do first? Was it took a long time to learn a really good lesson, which is running a business is dealing with the biggest problems of the business. And if you look okay. at Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg is having to deal with iOS change, the you know government coming down on Facebook, all this stuff. Like he's got the he's one of the richest men in the world, and this is the stuff he's dealing with. So as you run a business, understanding that that is going to be part of the job and you chose that job is super important. So like early on, every time there was a crisis, it was like hair on fire, like, oh my God, there was panic, stress, all that stuff that you hear about all CEOs talking about. After a while, you got to realize that you asked for this and this is not going away ever. So we were always like, we're going to solve that problem and then it will be all good. And then we'll solve that problem and then it will be all good. That never happens. That finish line never comes. And so, you know, the mistake was, you know, dwelling on it, stressing about it, et cetera. I'd also say, um, I, a lesson that we've rectified recently is my partner and I know thyself going back to that. We realized after a few years of working with executives, we're not very good at managing executives. Neither of us. We, we had great people that are objectively smart and hardworking and committed, and we'd be frustrated with them all the time. And after a while, we realized we were frustrated with our whole exec team at one time or another. And it's like, oh, maybe it's us. And so we brought in, you mentioned at the beginning, Dan Bedell, the COO, who was like, when he left his company, this was like just a highlight is like, I've never seen so many people praise their boss as they're leaving and be like, oh my God, you know, they're so lucky to have you, et cetera. And he built an agency from our size to 10 times our size as the president of the agency. And so knows the business, but also knows how to work with executives and has come in as just a level-headed, great piece. So the mistake was two or three years of trying to do it myself and then going, you know what? I'm not good at this. Let's yeah. bring in someone. And, and that's when you say the we, you mean Tony and you correct, Tony, my okay. business partner. Yeah. yeah, not as an organization as a whole. But yeah. let's hey, I'm a SMB. I'm listening to this right now. And you know, it's BS because I don't have the resources to go hire this incredible CEO. So what options do I have? Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got to be about a bit. This is how I've always felt about it. Early on, you're going to be you're going to have to be something that brings value to the business. You're going to have to be the main salesperson, the main product yeah. person. You're going to have to find the people that compliment you and can pay for themselves quickly. That's SMB life. That's what you have to do. But you also have to quickly get to a point where you're obsolete. So any job you're doing, if you can't afford to hire for it, you're not building a scalable business. So you have to find you know if you're having you'll never scale. And that's some business. A lot most businesses are destined for that. But if you want to build a business that scales, you have to be able to find ways to tweak things. And every business is different. It'd be hard to say generically, oh, you just need to do X, Y, Z. But you do have to have the right gross margins. You do have to have the right margins in general. You have to have the right operational leverage to be able to hire people to do things so that it can continue to grow. And yeah, no, I took me seven and almost eight years to hire a COO. It wasn't overnight. And no, I, I actually, I called them three years ago. And when I called them this time, I knew that there was some transition in this company and I called him to catch up and see if it was an option. This was back in June. And, uh, he, uh, what do you call it? No, I had called him three years before. And he's like, last time you called me to offer me a job, you offered me half the pay and a title demotion. I was like, yeah, that did happen. We're not going to do that again. (laughs) So just to be clear, it's not like I was in a place three years ago to hire this actual person. And I wasn't, but you, you take the baby steps over time too. 
And if you can't solve that issue right now, it's just do the best that you can with what you Correct. have in front of you. Yeah, exactly. How much do you trust your gut? Like, do you, do you really, because I'm, I'm an overthinker, I'm an analyzer. Yeah. Uh, how much do you just kind of trust your gut and, and, and move forward? Well, so my view of the gut is it's your subconscious moving faster than your conscious. Like, and maybe I'm right or wrong, but that's what I look at as a gut is like my there, I, my mind has figured out something in the nuance that I haven't been able to figure out logically yet. So when I, I do trust my gut wholeheartedly, but I trust it while I, I force it to be like, okay, why is my gut telling me that? So I still question my gut. I don't fight against it. I spend the time to figure out why, like, why do I know that this is a bad move? Cause I know it's a bad move, but why? And let me figure this out. And that's been something, a muscle I've tried to exercise a lot is understanding why my gut is telling me something. And you've surrounded yourself with good people. Do you do any kind of process where you sit down in a difficult situation, take your gut, take your the input you've gotten from others, take all these and and really work through it? Oh yeah, or... all the time. Um, no, I have great people. No, I was like super simple, transparent uh, problem we had. So early on, I made a decision like when we sign a client, the billing starts that day, and we had had conversations over time of like, Hey, shouldn't we move it back to when we actually have our first meeting? Like, what do you mean? Our work starts day one. And if we do that, we're pushing back a full, let's say week of revenue, which if you pull push a week of revenue every month, it adds up. It's millions of dollars. Like, what do you mean? And I, that's how, and my gut told me no. And what happened was, and then my CEO or sorry, my uh, head of finance laid out like, no, 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 you push it back once, but then every month that catches up. And then the next month, it catches up. So you literally just lose one week of revenue once is kind of how this works. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I was looking at it and I'm like, why did I make this decision before? And I realized it's because five years ago, six years ago, I didn't have the cash holdings to float week of revenue. You know, like that was a really scary thing to do. We didn't have just a big war chest. Now yeah. it's not a big deal at all. But in the context I had six years ago, my gut was right. Or it was like, no, we can't do this just simply because we just don't have that cash thing in the bank to let people not pay us for a week. Now we do. And so now we can actually make this decision, which is a better decision for our clients, the better experience. We can do that and afford it. And, but it took me sitting through and having my head of finance literally lay out, like showing us month one, month two, month three, where the money get flows and everything going like, okay. And as simple as that sounds after the fact in the moment, I was trusting my gut, which told me no, but I was like, but let's challenge it. Like I, now I kind of know why my gut said that and I caught clarification and so went against my gut, quote unquote, but for a good reason. But a lot of times it goes the other way where it's like, yeah, I get all these things, but what you're not realizing is this. And that's why my gut's telling me no, is you're not realizing that theoretically this makes sense, but cash flow is a problem or this is a problem. And that's, yeah. yeah. So what's next for Hawk Media? What, what, is the, what are the next few years look like? Well, we just expanded into Canada. That won't be the last country we open into. So we're working okay. on a few more expansion overseas right now. Um, we're working on the fund. We're working on uh, building up our financing arm to help give working capital to our clients. Uh, the book we've got. How long until the book is out? Uh, so it's pre-launch now. We got to sell 20,000 copies by the launch, February 15th. Okay. So we'll put a link and I think. And this is all about your, your methodology and Correct. how you serve clients, how you structure yeah. the organization. Yep. So yeah, we're aiming for New York Times bestseller, which 20,000 is a pretty safe bet. So we're going for that. And then uh, we've got our e-commerce week next year. We'll be the first one in person. Excited for that. And uh, and then tech enablement, building out our software arm. There's okay. got a lot. So yeah, <laughs> continuing to go. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. 
I think this gives people a real quick intro into, you know, where they want to be and, yeah. and how they can get there. And, uh, and it's not really rocket science. It, it's just surround yourself with good people, trust in your gut. We've talked about some yeah. timing, positioning, and listening to great podcasts, with people like yourself, uh, you know, and <laughs> I mean, and really just commit. I think that's a big one too, is like, get it done, like execute. Like I, I think the, what people miss is what people mean by hard work is actually execution. Like don't okay. talk about things. Don't think about things too much, like do it, get it done, get it shipped, keep executing, keep checking things off. That's what I meant by the daily discipline is like, if you're checking progress off every day and you're get, executing on things and actually completing things, not just working on things, you're going to see results. And a lot of people aren't good. I'd say a huge majority of people are not good at actually completing things and moving to the next step. And, and really and knowing what that endpoint is. Right. I mean, that, that's critical. I think too many people want to just set a goal of being a massive company that they sell for 50 or 100 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I don't feel like you really thought of it from that perspective. You thought about how do I continually grow this doing what I know how to do? Yep. No, it was, and it, listen, I look at revenue and profitability goals for sustainability and a scoreboard, yeah. but uh, I mean, the multiples jump around all the time. Now we're worth twice as much now as we w- would have been two years ago at the same size because of the market. Yeah. So, yeah. So once again, timing, luck, it's yeah. all interwashed together. Exactly. Awesome. Well, we'll put a link for the book. I, I will definitely push that for you and uh, really appreciate your time. You as well. Thank you very much. All right, brother. Talk soon. All right. Bye.